Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. The MCAT Podcast, session number 140. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Next Step Test Prep, the MCAT podcast is here to make sure you have the information you need to succeed on your MCAT test day. We all know that the MCAT is one of the biggest hurdles you'll face as a pre-med, and we're here to give you the motivation and information that you need to know to help get you the score you deserve so you can one day call yourself a physician. Welcome to the MCAT podcast. If this is your first time joining us here on the MCAT podcast, where have you been? You have a lot of episodes to go catch up on. I love getting emails from students saying, hey, Dr. Gray, I use the MCAT podcast to study for the MCATs and everything that you talk about, I used on uh, when I took the test and the thought processes and and what to skip and and how to move forward and, and everything. And I got a 515. I got a 520. We've gotten some amazing emails from students using a free resource, this podcast, to get an amazing score. So welcome if this is your first time here. If you're a returning listener, do me a favor and tell one person about this podcast. Let's go ahead and jump in. We're going to continue on with our breakdown of Next Step Test Prep Full Length 10, Psych Soch, jumping into our second set of discrete questions. Clara, back for some more MCAT podcasts, going through Next Step Test Prep Full Length 10. We're in the last section, bio, bio, biochem, Psych Soch, rather, <laughs> and onto a set of discretes here. We've seen the last couple passages have some pseudo discretes. Here we get uh, four discrete questions and hopefully we can we can take some some good lessons away from this and, and have some good learning as well. Absolutely. Yeah, these discrete should be fun. Uh, we should learn some vocab and maybe maybe we'll get some easy points. So. <laughs> hopefully. We'll hopefully. See. Hopefully I can uh, guess a lot of right ones again for the wrong reasons like last week. <laughs> Oh, yeah. All right. So I'll start here. Question 27. Again, just before we start, if you want to follow along with the handouts that we have, we have all of the handouts prepared for every MCAT podcast that we do. Just go to MCATpodcast.com, find the show notes or the blog post for the specific episode. This one is episode 140, and you can download the handouts right there. So question 27, what personality trait is most closely associated with an increased negative response to stressful situations. Increased negative response to stressful situations. 
A, high conscientiousness. B, high extroversion. C, low perfectionism. Or D, high neuroticism. Ooh. Increased negative response to stressful situations. So negative response. So I'm, I'm trying to think, okay, what is a bad thing that's going to happen? That's how I would try to translate that. High extroversion doesn't uh, seem like it fits there. So I would throw that one out. Low perfectionism doesn't seem like that's right. I would assume high perfectionism in a stressful situation would increase a negative response. So I would throw that one out. Neuroticism. I don't know how neuroticism and stress go together. So I would be hesitant to choose D. And so I would probably pick A, high conscientiousness, and move forward. Yeah, this is kind of a tough question. Uh, So basically, and you got it down to the two best answers here, right? So you get rid of high extroversion, that's totally out. That's related to how extroverted someone is, how they act in social situations. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then low perfectionism, totally what what you said was accurate there too. Uh, It would be more likely to be high perfectionism. So it's either A or D. And actually the right answer here ends up being D, uh, high neuroticism. Okay. And this is a case where we really just need to know the definitions of all these terms as they exist with regard to personality. And so, so actually conscientious, conscientiousness and neuroticism are both, they're two of the big five personality traits. So you should definitely know all five of these, um, which you'll see when you go over them in your review. But basically, neuroticism is this, this tendency to be prone to stress, like tendency to be prone to anxiety. And someone who has high neuroticism you might encounter a stressful situation that's actually pretty minor and just completely panic about it. So high neuroticism is exactly what this question stem is talking about here. And conscientiousness looks tempting too, but conscientiousness is actually the tendency to be like very organized, um, very conscientious people are very like dependable. They notice little details. They have a high sense of duty, that sort of thing. Um, If you think of, you can probably think of people in your life who exhibit high conscientiousness. They're very reliable. So high conscientiousness is actually the opposite of the correct answer here. It would not be tied to this negative response. Okay. All right. Definitions, definitions, definitions. Got to know them. Yep. All right. Absolutely. All right. Next one, number 28. Which of the following emotions is considered a universal emotion? And this is a Roman numeral question. So Roman numeral one, disgust. Two, contempt. Three, love. Then A is one only. B is two only. C is one and two only, and then D is one, two, and three. Hmm. <laughs> so interesting. Contempt. Contempt seems super like specific and and way too higher level to be a universal emotion. So I'm going to have to throw out two, which is weird, I think, potentially, because two is in all of them except for A, and so it just leaves me with one only disgust. But that like freaks me out because I'm like, well, love <laughs> has to be a universal emotion, but maybe not. And so I, I would pick disgust with A. So, you know, this one's actually really interesting. So first of all, you were partially right. You were right in, 
I, well, I guess <laughs> I guess I can't quite give you that too because the Roman numerals. <laughs> but lo- love is not a, a universal emotion. Okay. And disgust is one. Okay. The weird thing is that contempt actually is one too. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's funny. So you'll actually, if you look up the Ekman's universal emotions, uh, you can actually, depending on the source, you can see sources that either say there are six or that say there are seven. And for the MCAT, you need to assume that there are seven. Um, that's what you'll see in any MCAT prep book or prep set of materials. And the seventh one is this contempt. So it actually is a universal emotion. Every society has been observed to display some similarities in how they display contempt. So the answer here is C, um, disgust and contempt. Love might be universal. Uh, I'm actually not sure, but it's not an emotion. It's higher, um, higher order. It's more complex than that. There's a lot of um, different processes and different responses that go into love. So Define emotion. Maybe that'll help students. I, I don't know if you can define it on, on the spot here of what, what they're saying. What is an emotion? Definitely. So an emotion, this is an interesting question because um, you'll run into distinctions between, say, like emotion and mood and that sort of thing. But uh, an emotion is really essentially a state of mind. Uh, and it's a state of mind that's fairly simple. Um, and it, it comes from the circumstances that somebody is in. So, for example, if somebody is depressed, we actually wouldn't call that an emotion if they were like clinically depressed because that is not going to be something that just derives, not a temporary feeling that derives from someone's circumstances. So emotions are things like, um, if you look at other universal emotions, we have things like uh, happiness, sadness, surprise, that sort of thing. And they're these um, natural, temporary, instinctive states of mind. So you definitely should know the seven universal emotions for the MCAT. And I think I've actually listed all of them already, but just in case I haven't, there. Oh no, I missed some. <laughs> uh, so we have contempt, surprise, sadness, anger, fear, uh, disgust, and happiness. Okay. And I like that, that temporary kind of qualifier on there too. If you, you think about, this may be a little bit above and beyond the MCATs, but if you think about like DSM diagnoses, we don't have emotion disorders, but we do have mood disorders, which are mm-hmm. um, a lot different. So Absolutely. Okay. All right. Question 29. Researchers used a symptom list similar to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, speaking of DSM, in order to diagnose psychiatric disorders and screen incompatible subjects from a study. When comparing data from previous studies, it was discovered that the symptoms on the most recent DSM differ from the symptoms on the previous list. Which of the following social theories best explains this discrepancy? All right. A, social functionalism. B, social interactionism. C, social antipositivism. And D, (laughs) social constructionism. Um, All right. So I can bet that the right answer starts with social and ends in ism. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'm a betting man. I bet that. Uh, okay. So the symptoms on the most recent DSM differ from the symptoms on the previous list. Oh, man. Constructionism, antipositism, interactionism, functionalism. 
this uh, again uh, we can't stress it enough for psych social definitions 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 and it's funny on the pre-med years we're going to have if you're listening to this in the future maybe it's already out uh, but as we're recording this potentially maybe it's not out yet but we're going to have Phil from Next Step one of your high level tutors at Next Step who has some some secret sauce to psych social and he's all about these types of questions where they're going to just throw all of these similar things at you and they're going to try to trip you up. They're not trying to be tricky. They just want to make sure you know the, the definitions of all of them. So anyway, um, kind of side note there. Uh, I, all of these definitions are way, are words and, and there are two words here all too similar for me. And so I would just try to look at functional, interaction, antipositive, and construction. Oh, interaction, construction, antipositive. I would go with deconstructionism for some weird reason that's standing out, and then I would just move on and assume I got it wrong. Good guess. <laughs> <laughs> you did not get it wrong. Interesting. I don't know why that one stood out to me. Maybe you can help me figure out why that one stood out to me. Definitely. So, so first of all, there are some that are kind of random here. So antipositivism is the big random one here where that's not actually, you know, it is a real term, but it's not a term you need to know for the MCAT. Uh, so that makes it wrong. Uh, it's related to the methods used in sociological research. So if that one's out, because it's just too random, too out there, then we have three left. And social constructionism is actually a theoretical approach to sociology where essentially the idea is that reality as we experience it is composed of social constructs. So things like social constructs include, oh, you know, uh, a lot of concepts of even gender, for example, is um, a constantly evolving social construct, uh, according to the DSM, actually. so <laughs> Not according <laughs> to some people out there. Nope, nope. <laughs> There's a lot. And that's the funny thing about social constructs, right, is that they're almost always subjects of huge debate because society has essentially just constructed them. And so they're not absolutes at all. They can totally change over time. So this idea here where psychiatric disorders um, and their definitions change dramatically over time is because uh, the sort of our construct of what is like um, psychologically healthy behavior really is still a social construct um, or is composed of a lot of different social constructs. So that's why D is the perfect answer. Okay. And um, the other two? Yeah, yeah. The other two. So A was social functionalism, which is a little bit tempting because it is a sociological approach. But um, functionalism relates to the fact that society is composed of a lot of parts that work together, essentially, and they all have different functions. So social functionalism, if you see a question uh, ask about maybe a business where a lot of people with different jobs um, will work together to get the business to function, or um, something similar to that, uh, maybe talking about a school or education system, that might relate to social functionalism. And sometimes more uh, literally, they'll actually directly talk about functions and dysfunctions. But it's not really relevant here, uh, not relevant to definitions changing over time. And then social interactionism is another theoretical approach. So it's tempting too, but it is very specific to the individual um, social behaviors and the ways individuals interact within society. So it's not quite macro. It's not large scale enough to relate to the definitions of psychiatric disorders. Okay. All right. Good terms. All right. Good guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah.
All right, number 30. To foster the use of problem-oriented strategies with a minimum number of patient-doctor sessions, a clinician would most likely use what modality of therapy? A, psychodynamic therapy, B, systems therapy, C, cognitive behavioral therapy, or D, humanistic existential therapy? Oh, problem-oriented strategies. Uh, I, oh man, I never studied. I don't know if I ever took a psychology class. Maybe I took one a long time ago. But it seems to be that problem-oriented to me screams cognitive behavioral, and so I'd pick C. That is perfect. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, usually the, and it's not just like a luck thing. Um, usually with these types of therapy, you really only need to know like a little bit about each of them to get mm-hmm. a question right. Okay. So that's exactly what you did here on the fact problem-oriented strategies. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy is a style of therapy that is very focused on overcoming like real-life problems, like fears, for example, or compulsions. Uh, so it's perfect. If we look at the rest, uh, A, psychodynamic therapy, that's very Freudian. Uh, and that like digs back into the patient's past and like what you know behaviors have you retained from your childhood uh, but that's not going to be problem-oriented, and it's not going to minimize the number of patient-doctor sessions. So it's out. And then systems therapy B is uh, therapy that focuses on sort of teaching the individual about the systems available for them, like support systems in their life. Uh, and that's just not clearly relevant here. And then finally, humanistic existential. That's going to be focused on um, how the person can achieve like self-actualization, essentially achieve their full potential. And that's not relevant to the question stem either. Alrighty. So good good set of discretes there. I went 50-50. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> could be worse. It always could be. Okay. So follow along again the handouts in the show notes and don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week. All right. There you have it. Some more questions, discreet questions. They're getting fun. They're getting exciting. Are you feeling it? That energy almost done with the MCAT, when you're sitting there during your full length, when you're sitting there during the real test, you can feel that energy either completely drained or starting to pick up because you're getting excited. You're almost done. You're ready to click submit or finish, or maybe you're ready to click void wherever you're at. Hopefully you're excited. But if you are looking for more full length exams, go to Next Step Test Prep Full Length 10. Use the promo code MCATPOD to save yourself 10% off of those exams. You can check out their QBanks as well. A lot of students love the Next Step Test Prep QBanks, which simulates the real testing environment. The AAMC recently changed their QBanks so they don't simulate a real testing environment anymore. And a lot of students don't like that. So check out all the resources that Next Step Test Prep has to offer at nextsteptestprep.com. (laughs) 